Sunday service. It's a joy to be here with you. And welcome especially to all of our guests here this weekend. We have people learning to meditate, learning about the chakras. We have the yoga teacher training course from the Bay Area here this weekend. And then we also have our own yoga teacher training course here. And all of you online, welcome for joining us. Um, I'm going, my name's Nayaswami Mantradevi, and this is Nayaswami Krishna Das. So I'll read from Rays of the One Light. This morning, it's on We Are Children of the Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. It is common for people to perceive themselves according to their present realities. A person in, in ill health says, I am ill. Few say, I am well, it is my body that is suffering. People in a low income bracket say, I am poor. Only the unusual person will say, though outwardly I live in poverty, inwardly I am wealthy. Thus, when it comes to moral and spiritual development, People commonly identify themselves with their weaknesses and their mistakes. They consider it almost a sign of humility to say, I am a sinner. Though, in effect, what this means is that they identify themselves with their sinfulness, not with the soul's power to trans transcend all limitations in God. The great masters, including Jesus Christ, have always emphasized the divine potential of mankind. To encourage us, they address us as children of light, not of darkness. The Bible in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, makes the point that our true home 
is not the mud of this earth, but the light of heaven. No man hath ascended up to heaven, it tells us, but him that came down from heaven. This passage continues, even so, the Son of Man who is in heaven, emphasizing that Jesus, though he lived on earth, is perceived by the eye of wisdom as conscious, even in human form, of his true reality in heavenly spheres. The way to know God is to live in godly consciousness and not to bewail our imperfection and our distance from God. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Bhagavad Gita states, Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. But those who, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives, cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. If you want to know God, Paramahansa Yogananda said, live in the thought that you have him already. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. children of light. <laughs> so, so, happy to be here with this morning. So this is a really, uh, oh, I wanted to read from whispers, excuse me. So Yogananda said that um, he drew from three Bibles. That's where he drew his inspiration. One was the Christian Bible, one was the Hindu Bhagavad Gita, and his own whispers from eternity. So we'll read from that. This is interesting. I, I chose one on prosperity because it says, the scriptures say that uh, one who seeks God is wisest and one who finds God is mo the most successful. So that's when we're really most prosperous, isn't it? Not how much wealth we have or or uh, accumulate, accumulated material goods, health, anything. It's, it's whether we find God, that's when we are most prosperous. So here we are. Demand for prosperity, thou art my father, I am thy child. Thou art the supreme spirit, I am made in thine image. Thou art the father, owner of the whole universe. I good or naughty, am all that is thine. No, I, good or naughty, am thy child. And when I behave, I have the right of possession over all that is thine. Alas, I have played the truant, wandering away from thy home of cosmic plenty. Lead me home again. Teach me to identify my highest interests with thy will. Rescue me from this shipwreck on the tiny island of my body. Expand my consciousness. Help me to understand once more that I am made in thy image. When by thy grace I discover that I, like thee, 
am omnipresent, then at last I have true dominion over all things, even as thou hast. So that's akin to this reading. No man has ascended up to heaven, but him who hath descended down from heaven. So this scripture gives us a couple clues that we are divine children. That is our birthright. Heaven is our destiny. But then, as Jesus said, and so the Son of Man is even now living in that state. We too can live in that state even now. May not be the ultimate heaven or nirbhikalpa samadhi, but it, with affirmation, meditation, living rightly, we could make more of a heaven of this world that we are living in. Our consciousness is whether we're in heaven or not, not our outward surroundings. At the time when Master uh, Yogananda gave these teachings, brought these teachings to the West, I mean, it, things seem pretty bad now, but think about what was going on then. Depression, the Great Depression, then World War II, the Korean War. At Mount Washington, where they lived, they, had, they lived on tomatoes one whole season. It's not like abundance came even to him or the ashram because he was a master. He followed God's will and it flowed the way it did. But he always gave these most uplifting teachings no matter what was going on, which is amazing. And so for us too now, whatever's going on in the outward world or in our own kind of daily drama, we have to lift ourselves above it and try to draw those heavenly states now, here now. So this is kind of a good news, bad news uh, with these scriptures today. The good news is that we came from heaven. Um, it's not really bad news with the Gita, but it's kind of challenging news. It says that, uh, you know, if we seek God with impure motives, it's, it's not going to happen. I'll get to that later. <laughs> so, um, I was thinking that we have to create this personal relationship with God. Okay, God is form, the Upanishads, God is formless, God is in form. God is impersonal, God is personal. God is uh, transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's right here, right now, among us, right within our own very self. So, formless or form, Yogananda says, bring God into form, freeze him into form so that we could worship him in some dynamic, personal way. Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, our beloved friend, the Guru. These are ways that we can freeze God into form. And we need to do that. We have to have a personal relationship with God as he taught us. So um, I read this funny thing. This, uh, the children wrote letters to, to uh, God. This one fellow wrote, Dear God, is Reverend Cole a friend of yours? Or do you just know him through business? So is, is God and Guru really a friend of ours or we just kind of know him through spiritual business? You know, we try to do these things kind of in a rote way. We're supposed to meditate, we're supposed to do, you know, our practices and so on, chant. You know, it's all how we do it. 
Swami Kriyananda was very clear on that. It's the attitude that we bring to all this stuff. It's the consciousness we bring to it. By your consciousness, uh, it's, uh, there, your, there, will your, there will your perceptions be. That's uh, Krishnadas said that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's based on the teachings of Swami Kriyananda and Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, so our perceptions, so how, how are we perceiving this world? I was talking to one of my good friends just uh, yesterday or the day before that, and we were talking, she was saying that the wildflowers are out at Bridgeport in abundance. So you might want to uh, check that out. And I was telling her, I remembered when, when we went to Table Mountain. I know some of you here have, have had that experience as well. It's about two hours from here. And it's a mountain that's sort of what they call mountains like that, are sort of clipped and are flat table mountains. There's one up near you, the city of uh, and Marysville. And the wildflowers, they're, they're in the millions. I, 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 I believe, I haven't counted them, but I know <laughs> there are millions of them. And so we arrived there one time. And, uh, and we're anticipating all this glorious color, you know. And uh, we got out and we're, wa we're walking through the flowers. There's so many of them, you could walk on them and they spring back up. And everybody's going ooh and ah, and I'm looking and, and, and they're all brown. They were all brown. And I was thinking, what is going on? These are, you know, did I go colorblind? And I'm, and I'm thinking, they were literally brown. And, I realized I hadn't taken off my sunglasses. <laughs> These particular glasses turned everything uh, a shade of brown. And uh, I was relieved at that, to discover that, that that was the cause. But it could have taught me, taught me a lesson, you know. That we view life or experience life through our own filter. Whatever your filter is, that's what you experience. So like in one of Swami Kriyananda's songs, Wind on a hill sounds lonely if you're sad, free if you're free, cheerful if you're glad. Same wind. So that's how it is with us. So we have to try to lift our consciousness. What prevents it, basically? Moods. We get moody, don't we? That's why moods, Yogananda said, were satanic. They were evil. Because moods sort of clipped clips us, clips the, the, the divine experience that we could be having all the time. So um, when, we, when we think about uh, everything we experience is through our own uh, perceptions, we have to try to be conscious, be aware, and be vigilant, not to let ourselves go into any moods. You know, you're going to say, when you find a negative thought coming, Stop it right there. You have a second one, it starts to gain momentum. Before you know it, you're on a train. And it's going down the wrong track into negativity, into sort of contraction, cutting us off, eclipsing that divine experience that we could be having all the time. So optimism is one. Try to remain optimistic no matter what. Optimistic no matter what. Here's this cute story about uh, these two identical twins there were the, the parents were worried about them because one was very overly optimistic. He said, um, everything's coming up roses. That was his attitude. The other one was pessimistic. Something was always going wrong no matter what. So the psychologist said, 
okay, on their next birthday, give the pessimist all these, the most expensive toys you can give them. For the, for the optimist, give them a box of manure. <laughs> so they did this and, and uh, they put them in separate rooms and then they peeked in after they had given them their gifts. And with the, uh, the pessimist, they looked in and he was going, ah, this new computer, I know it's going to break. You know, oh, this, uh, this calculator, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, my friend has a better one of these. This toy truck, and again, my friend has a bigger one of these. He was talking about that, about all these gifts. So then they look in the, in the room of the pessimist, or the optimist, and they look in and he was throwing the manure up in the air. <laughs> he said, they can't fool me. Where there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony. So, um, those moods are strong. When uh, Yogananda greeted Swami Kriyananda once, he said, how are you, Walter? And we all know these stories, but he says, he says, well, he goes, that's good. He cut him off right there. He didn't let him get into anything beyond well. Another time, uh, Master had told Swami that, he goes, I have plans for you, Walter. And Swami was thinking he was going to send him to India without going with him. And he, it, it totally depressed him because he didn't want to be separated from, from Master. And that would probably happen to any of us, right? Happens, it happened for us when Swami was leaving. But uh, if we thought we were going to be separated from him for a long time. Uh, but he, he meditated on it. He pulled himself together, Swamiji. And he said, well, if Yogananda, if Master is asking this of me, it must be for my highest good. So he, he turned that. That was good. So... Another one is perseverance. We have to persevere. This world, everything about this world, the inertia, all of the collective negativity and the, all of the, the selfishness and greed and all the things we could list that are counter heavenly states, undivine, it's pulling on us. It's pulling on us. And, it, and we're part and parcel of that with our ego and our limited self. So there's magnetism there. We have to counter that. We have to do everything we can to counter that energy. So perseverance, so you have to stay the course. I was going to give you some factoids that I find very interesting. So in the life of Alexander Bell, so he, he was speaking with President Hayes. And Hayes says, uh, so, you know, Bell discovered the telephone in case you didn't know that. Um, he says, that's an amazing invention. But who, who would ever want to use one of those? So that's what the, the president of the United States said, you know. So, you know, not today's president. We wouldn't really care what he said. <laughs> but then, you know, the president was somebody. It was someone that we had respect, reverence, you know. I'm sorry if I offend anybody's political viewpoints. But, I mean, it's been happening, you know. The, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because we were young. The, the, the president seemed to be someone you revered. Uh, so if Hayes said that to him, you could bet that that would be, you know, um, that would have an effect on him. But he kept going, and he created the telephone. And there's one in every home. And as it developed in a different form, there's one in every hand, just about. <laughs> we were in Hong Kong recently, and in the, we were on a subway. And it was open with each door. And it kind of looked like when you look into a mirror with a mirror behind you and it looks like it's infinity. 
I looked down, you know, 20 cars, and everybody was sitting there with a cell phone. So that's something you'd like to invent <laughs> or sell. <laughs> so t again, um, believe in yourself. Thomas Edison, another factoid. He was uh, probably the greatest inventor in US history. His teachers said that he was too slow, and he was taken out of school when he was homeschooled. He ended up inventing 13,000 inventions. That's believing in yourself. I'll give you one more. Um, Swami used to mention this fellow, Pablo Casals, who is the greatest, thought to be the greatest cellist of all time. Uh, he was asked, Mr. Casals, you are 95 and the greatest cellist that ever lived. Why do you still practice six hours a day? He said, I think I'm improving. <laughs> So this is how we should be. We're always improving. There's no end. Yogananda said you go on until you reach endlessness. He was a master, one with all there is, a fully realized master. But he would say, oh, in Sri Teshwar, Babaji. He's the epitome. He reached the epitome of consciousness. And we're thinking, well, what's between Nirvikalpa Samadhi and being one with everything there is, and Babaji, that who's really everything there is. When we know, we'll know. That's what they tell us. We will know when we know. So I wanted to get to the, uh, that passage about the Gita, because what Swami picked that passage for was uh, it's about like only can, can comprehend like. Like only can comprehend like. And I wanted to, I got it. Review that passage. Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. That's who we are, we're seekers. But those who, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives cannot perceive him, however much they struggle to do so. That's us too. We, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives. When I first read that, I was thinking of impure motives. Like, what would that be? And quickly, to my relief, it was basically when we seek God or do any of our practices for any other reason than to have union with God and union with Guru. So now obviously we're on the spiritual path and we're doing our practices the best we can, but we have to remember to do them the best that we can. And the best that we can really is with the right consciousness. That's when we do them the best we can. Out of sheer longing to unite our consciousness and commune with God and Guru. Sup with me and I will sup with you. So when we're open and, and receptive, and that puts us in a op more open and receptive mood or state of consciousness, when we are doing it with love. Because like only can comprehend like. God is love. And God is purity. So when we say seeking with pure motives, the purest motive would be I want only thee. I want only thee, Lord. Come to me now. 
So yes, we have to do our practices because we have to get in our heart to do that. And we have to still the heart and still the mind. Everything we do, I'm realizing, is just really, I mean, however, we do experience God. You do a few hung saws, you feel peaceful, don't you? That's God. Do some Kriya. Oh, you feel that stillness. You feel that taste of bliss. That's God. But higher than that, leading to living in the state of consciousness where we're communing with God all the time. And so we have practices for that as well, practicing the presence. Um, in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, who was a manifestation of purity himself, there's a story that one of his disciples tells. A fellow named Yogan would bring him le a lemon every day. You may have heard the story. A lemon every day. One day he brings him this lemon. The next day, Sri Ramakrishna says, Yogan, where did you get that lemon? I could not eat it. Well, got it from the same tree that he always gets it from. So he investigated. He found that on that, the day before he had picked that lemon, the lease on that property turned over, changed hands. And prior to that, he had permission to get that lemon from the owner or the leasee. That day forward, he had not gotten permission. Sri Ramakrishna felt that energy. Unknowingly, he had stolen the lemon, not consciously, but he had taken it without permission. Ramakrishna could feel that energy. And he would not eat it. They said about him that he would not receive anything from an evildoer, probably, I guess we could define evil there, but even from impure motives, impure hands, because he was so pure and he was God incarnate as well. So this is what he demanded. They said when he was in Samadhi and someone had touched his feet, he cried out because he felt the consciousness of that person. And the person telling the story was saying, we were very nervous after that because we used to help him walk around and we had to try to be very pure in our thoughts because we didn't want him to cry out and feel that energy. So, uh, and that was a similar story with uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda that Swamiji tells in the path that him and Boone were walking Master around in, in the compound. And, uh, and Master was, he was in, in Samadhi and he was leaning on Boone's arm. And at some point he let go and he said, hot. And then he took hold of Swamiji's arm, continued to walk around. It's not a judgment. It's like if we really are going to feel that deepest peace, feel that deepest love, that God consciousness, we have to get rid of those impurities. We have to strive heartily, as it says in the Gita, with whole soul devotion and try to really raise our consciousness so that we can experience the highest. No man ascends up to heaven except him, but him who hath descended down from heaven. Well, that's us. We, that is our, our birthright. That is our reality. We are pure beings. We are, we are pure souls. That's, that's who and what we are. And so when we can kind of 
clear away the dross and the debris and align with that and let it come forth, let it come through. It's a long haul between now and when we are truly realized, fully realized. Yogananda would give us great hope and say it doesn't have to be long. You could have God in the moment, this very moment. But to merge forever, I hope we get there this lifetime. Let's get as far as we can if we don't make it the whole way. But that means now opening ourselves up to that purity, that essence, that who, who we are, and not concentrate on the other, and not give the other any traction. Nip it in the bud, keep our sadhana strong, and keep progressing uh, as far as we can now. Swami Kriyananda said that uh, by the yardstick of inner purity alone is a person's closeness to God determined by the yardstick of inner purity. So I wanted to, uh, what is the mark of the divine? So I'm going to read from the, the Gita. This is Krishna talking to Arjuna. And these, uh, why don't you close your eyes and listen to this. It is as if Krishna or Guru or God is speaking to you. These are the signs. Fearlessness. Singleness of soul. The will always to strive for wisdom. Opened hand and governed appetites. And piety and love of lonely study. Humbleness. Uprightness. Heed to injure not which lives. Truthfulness. Slow, slowness unto wrath. A mind that lightly letteth go what others prize. And equanimity and charity which spieth no man's faults. And tenderness towards all that suffer. A contented heart fluttered by no desires. A bearing mild modest and grave, with manhood nobly mixed, with patience, fortitude, and purity, an unrevengeful spirit, never given to rate itself too high. Such be the signs, O Indian prince, of him whose feet are set on that fair path which leads to heavenly birth. Just one more quick quote that Sri Ramakrishna did say, because I love it so much. He said, we didn't come here, we came here to eat mangoes in the garden. What use is to count leaves and branches? And that is the sort of the essence of our teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda. We came here to enjoy this creation. That one song that, that Swami wrote, Well done, Lord, oh, very well done. The mountains are laughing with gypsy clouds. It's like, that's how we should greet today. 
we should enjoy this creation, enjoy it to its fullest, just not be attached. <laughs>